cast off the constraints of the day, open your eyes, your heart, and your mind to the enchanted mystery of all that lies beneath the starry sky. Slow down and contemplate your dreams, your relationship to the natural world, and the ancient traditions of mystical thinking from divination and astrology to ancient philosophy and self-exploration, all by the light of the moon. Welcome to episode number 18 of the Joe DeVoe Show. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, but you can call me Joe, and I am here to uplift and support my fellow creatives, lovable weirdos, and makers of magic, especially the makers of magic today, because today we have a very special guest. Maya Toll is back on the show. And we have a really fun giveaway planned for one lucky listener. And this is a limited time offering, so I'm just going to lead with it so you can get with it and win this awesome, awesome prize. Maya has a brand new book out called The Night School, Lessons in Moonlight, Magic, and the Mysteries of Being Human, which is where that little excerpt that I read at the beginning of this episode came from. And if you win the giveaway, you not only will win that book, you will also win the companion journal that goes with it called Notes for the Night, a guided journal for moonlit magic. And that is not all. You will also receive the Night School Moonlit Deck, which is very enchanting. It's like a little tiny condensed boxed version of the book. And there are a hundred cards. They're like flashcards for night school and magic. It's so much fun. I want to shout out the illustrator because the illustrations in this book and journal and deck are absolutely gorgeous. I'm a little bit afraid that I'm going to mispronounce her last name. It is C-L-E-R-C and her name is Lucille Clerk. Clerk. Something like that. But gorgeous, gorgeous illustrations. Shout out to Lucille. And gorgeous, gorgeous words. Maya is such a romantic author. I love the way that she writes and I love the way that she treats her readers. It's like an invitation to come into this magical world just to escape the hustle and bustle of the mundane and have a little mystical slice of something special just for yourself. To get lost in this world of cosmic enchantment so that you can reclaim a little hidden piece of yourself and then bring that piece with you back out into the world when you're ready to get busy again. I want to give special attention to the journal here too because this is a guided journal. There are many, many guided prompts and rituals and it asks you to go pretty deep. So whoever wins this, I hope you just throw yourself into it and that you create this night school experience for yourself. 
I am really feeling Virgo season this year. I feel like I always get that back to school feeling. I get very nerdy about the back to school vibes. I get into my planner and I want to make the most of the fall. I start looking forward to that autumn weather. And because of a childhood growing up in the school system, my mind just says back to school, back to school. So I get a kick out of the fact that here we are. It is back to school season and we're talking about the night school, but not just any school. This is like wizarding world shit, the good shit, the real shit, magic, real magic, making magic of your life, making meaning, diving into the shadows, transmuting the past into a more empowering story for yourself so you can move forward in strength. I love it. So even if you don't win the giveaway, I highly recommend checking out the book, checking out the journal. The deck would make the cutest stocking stuffer if you know anybody who is just getting into magic or who just really loves this kind of thing. And I know so many of you are Maya Toll fans because of the interview I did with Maya last year, which was very special for me. That conversation had a profound impact on my life. We talked about stepping to the edge, stepping to the edge of your fear, stepping to the edge of what you're being called to do and trusting your guidance. I will link to that in the show notes. And of course, I will link to all things Maya. If you want to enter the giveaway and you are listening to this in a timely fashion, it's only running for one week. So I will be announcing the winner on the podcast on September 6th. It's almost September! It's back to school, people. It's back to school. If you want to enter the giveaway, follow me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm Joanna DeVoe. Everywhere you go, follow me and then say something nice about this episode. Maybe pull out a favorite quote or something that really piqued your interest, got your attention, resonated with you, and then make sure you tag me So I know that you're shouting out the show and then I will add you to the giveaway. I will do a random drawing. I will let the cosmos decide who, who is the lucky winner of all three, the book, the journal, the deck. I'm excited for this person and I don't even know who they are. May the best witch win. Whoop, whoop. I'm also excited for any writers or book nerds who are listening right now because this conversation, we talk a lot about the writing and publishing process, about how her various decks were made, and then also, interestingly, the challenges inherent in writing memoir as opposed to writing nonfiction because we know Maya for her Wild Wisdom series, the Herbiary, the Crystallary, the Bestiary. It's all so magical, but now she's got a memoir coming out next year, and we're going to get to learn more about the woman behind the magic. And it was fun getting to pick her brain about that and learn about what the process was like for her. And then at the end of the interview, it took a very surprising turn into the political because she has this idea that the magical and spiritual community could be a viable voting block, that we have more power 
than we collectively claim in that arena. So I just thought that was a really interesting, powerful way to end things here today. I think you're going to love this interview. It is packed with good vibes and interesting things to contemplate. So without any further ado, here she is, Maya Toll. Hi, Maya. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so thrilled to be back. This is a conversation I've been looking forward to. Yay. And I was just telling you our conversation last year, which happened right around the same time, was literally my favorite conversation of the year, not just on the podcast, but anywhere. It was oh, it was that. a turning point. I got to share some personal <laughs> things with you and you're so wise. And I was like, I'm going to listen to her. I'm going to listen to what Maya says and I'm going to do it. The thing. <laughs> Let me know how that turned out and whether I should be packing my bags and heading out of the country. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think a lot has changed in my life. And for everybody I know, and for you in the last year, when I think about the fact that you've changed publishers and now you're starting this new series, how do you feel about the last year since last summer? Yeah, well, I think that I had this book deal when we last spoke, but I don't know that I was, okay. I love my new publisher. More than that, I love my new editor so hard. You know, my editor at my old publishing house was a lovely human being who was assigned to my books. And so there wasn't that sense of like, she chose me, you Mm. know, whereas my new editor, she chose me. She got behind these books. She presented them to her publishing house in a way that made everyone take notice and get behind the project. And she has just stayed in it. I mean, she's so in it and it makes a huge difference on a daily basis. Like it's kind of like how I feel going to work, if that makes any sense. Like I know that people romanticize being a writer, but it's a job. And my colleagues are my agent and my editor and, you know, the designer over at the publishing house. Those are the people that I work with every day. Mm -hmm. And so it makes like going to work such a joy because I'm working with a team that is so incredibly excited about the work we're all doing. I love that. You know, something I wrote down was about Shan. Do you call her Shan or Sean? Shan? Shan. Okay. Shan. So yep. I've gotten to interact with her a bit behind the scenes, but I was flipping through your new book and at the back, you give her the sweetest shout out, Shannon Thayer. You say, yep. you called her your assistant and then you immediately said, which is an unfortunately diminutive word for the person who knows more about my business than I do and has held my hand through all of the ups and downs of being an author. Yeah, yeah. I am super lucky about, I think it's been four or five years at this point, Shannon, who we call Shan, was a student in witch camp and she just something about the timing of it was so perfect for her life. She's trained as a therapist and she was working as a therapist. I think she was in an alcohol recovery center and she was going through some personal stuff and like witch camp just tied in. Oh, I guess I should say witch camp is is an online program that I usually run. I'm taking a break from it this year. So we'll see if it comes back next year. But she, she came into witch camp and it just really touched her, I think in ways that I didn't expect and she didn't expect. And 
she said to me, can I come work for you? I'll be your apprentice. I'll do anything, you know, like you don't have to pay me. You don't just let me work for you. And I didn't actually have any job openings at the time, but when I did, I pulled her in and she has slowly, but surely over a number of years, learned every aspect of the business, even things like she learned to build websites because mm-hmm. she got sick and tired of liaisoning with the web designers. She was just like, this is such a waste of time. I just need to do it myself. If you look at my new website, which is amazing, Shan built that out. Oh, um, shout out to Shan. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, and she's really on it too. Like if you email her, she emails right back and you feel a sense of pride and maybe even like a little sense of ownership. Like this is her thing too. Absolutely. I am very community oriented, which I think is kind of strange for someone who's doing such a singular thing. Like, you know, when you're writing, there you are sitting all by yourself writing and it's all about the thoughts in your own head. But when I'm not in that moment of writing, I really feel like any endeavor takes a community and like the writing itself, I have to do solitary. But as soon as the words are on the page, then I need Shan to help me with the marketing. I need my editor to help me with getting all my crazy thoughts wrangled. It really does take a whole team. And so I don't feel like these books are mine. I feel like I initiate a process and then lots of other people come into that process and are part of creating what people ultimately think of as my book, but like, it's not. Yeah. I mean, you talk about being such a guided person as well. It's almost like you're not initiating it. You just (laughs) got the name, the night school, like just occurred to you one day and you're like, this is a thing. This is how we got around to the Shan conversation because you called her and said the night school. And she's like, (laughs) what is it? And you're like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it's also a community (laughs) thing. It Gosh, last last year we talked about how your series, the Wild Wisdom Collection, which is gorgeous, how in part that was brought about because you wanted to bring the lessons of magic, the practical techniques of it to those of us who love the Potterverse and long to experience the magic of Hogwarts, but like for real in our own lives. But I have to say... Night school, in my opinion, goes one step further. It really feels like a class and one that should be taken at candlelight. But (laughs) this brings me around to like community. It's not just the community that creates the book. Then you're bringing it to your community of readers in this really experiential, inclusive way that makes us feel like a part of your community as well. Well, thank you for saying that because when I sat down to write this book, I was like picturing the students out in their seats in the lecture hall and really trying to create a book that I didn't have as I was learning mysticism and magic and witchery and like, you know, all all the, all the different words that we use for really the same thing. I didn't have one guidebook. I had a lot of books that were very esoteric and difficult to read and I slogged through them. And then I found books that, how do I say this, were 
kind of diluted versions of those esoteric texts mm-hmm. that diluted it to the point where I could follow along with what the book was saying to do and just like follow the instructions, but I had no grounding or foundation in why. And I didn't understand the history or the background behind some of these practices. And so I wanted a book that gave me like the depth of the esoteric manuals, but I wanted it to be easy reading. Like I wanted it to be fun. I wanted a mom who just worked all day and then picked up her kid at school and had to still make dinner and do the laundry to be able to read a little bit before bed and feel filled instead of overwhelmed. Yeah. It's like that too. It's divided into such little chunks, little bite-sized pieces, very tasty pieces, but (laughs) I love that you can keep it. Maybe you want to do this on your porch or patio, which is kind of suggested in the book or outside, but you can keep it by your bedside and dip into it before you go to sleep at night. And I know I sound like a promotional book pusher, but I do not care (laughs) because I did get my hands on the book and the journal that goes with it and the cards. There's a deck of cards and it all is so much fun. Like this is an invitation to really learn, but also play. And it feels the way I think a lot of us who first get into magic we want it to feel, you know, and it doesn't always feel that way. And this does. Ah, thank you. Thank you. I feel like I just got my gold star for the day. I, I did what <laughs> I set out to do. I know that JK has let some people down lately, but the Potterverse is amazing. The sense of being able to step into this place and feel it and see it. And like, as the books turned into movies, just having this encompassing experience. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I felt was missing from that encompassing experience was in real life, what, what would they be learning in those classes? Right. And so that really inspired this book. And I have to tell you, I've, I've said this a couple of times now. So if, if you're someone who's listening, who's like, I heard you say that before, it's because it's so true. I keep saying it. I'm really not into twee things, like little tiny things, just don't do it for me. I don't like a lot of stuff around my house and little things tend to feel like clutter, but this little deck that they did. Oh my goodness. Like it's, it's just the designer, Susan at running press. I have to give you a shout out. She just like knocked it out of the park. It's this tiny little deck and it has like a magnetic clasp and every side of it is gorgeous and unique. And like, you know, it's, spectacular. It really is. And like, this is one of those things where it's like, I didn't do that. I wouldn't have even made a deck. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not how I would have approached this, but someone smarter than me said, we're going to do a deck and it's going to be stunning. And even Maya is going to love it. And there's a hundred cards, which is so satisfying. (laughs) Yeah. And just, I do feel like we should say out loud for anyone who has like my earlier books, this is not an Oracle deck. I call it a study deck. I think that it it goes with the book and it kind of reminds me of like having flashcards for your book. Yeah, Um, totally. You know, what's funny. I was looking for an affirmation deck. They're very hard to find in terms of one that really resonates. And I've gone through quite a bit of them, but often what I love 
from a good Oracle deck, Colette Baron reed has some like this, is I appreciate the art, but I really, really love her messages that yes. are in the little guidebook. So I love a deck that just has the message on the card. And these do. Yes, they're little excerpts from the book. So they're not necessarily meant as an Oracle. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like yeah. they don't always point you in a direction. It was really funny because I was talking to a group of writers and talking, you know, someone said to me, can your new deck be used by writers? And I said, well, it can be, you know, used as a jumping off point or used for inspiration. And I said, for instance, and I pull a card and it was a writing exercise. <laughs> so, so says you, it's not an oracle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, and the force is with me tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, last year you were saying that the Wild Wisdom collection, that each of the books in that collection got its own standalone deck that 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 was coming later that fall because I think they each had a deck but they were getting their own fancy standalone high quality deck so how did that go what kind of responses have you gotten so far about that yeah people love them the paper quality is like regular deck quality whereas what we had before was these kind of like pull apart cards that were behind the book mm -hmm. so it was really the concept with the Wild Wisdom series was a book. And then like the deck was in the back as kind of a bonus, you know, like surprise, you have this little deck you can play with too. But people loved the decks so much and they kept requesting like a for real deck as opposed to just the like lightweight cardboard that was in the back. So the new decks are stunning. They're absolutely stunning. My designer over at Story, you know, while my editor kind of got assigned the books and they might not have been her thing, my designer, they were 100% her thing. And she just, I mean, each project, she just worked her, her butt off and made it as beautiful as possible. Like she'd go to the printer herself to see exactly what color the foils were and make sure that the tones were exactly what she wanted. And she just... She well, midwife those let's books. Let's give her a shout out too. What's her name? Jessica. Jessica was the designer of the books at Story. And she just, each and every book, she just midwifed it through the whole process. And they are stunning. Did we talk at all last year about the Wild Wisdom Companion? Because that came out last year. Yeah, that's, that what, was the, that's what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. that, that's what we were officially on last year. Yeah. Because that one, the illustrations changed a little bit. Like they just got a little deeper and richer and like darker as in more aware of the dark side of life, if that makes any sense. Like there are actually skeletons and skulls and things yeah. um, in the illustrations for that book, which I really appreciate. Which is a nice segue to the night school. Right? Yeah. Like just kind of moving from... I don't want to say that the herbiary, the bestiary, and the crystallary are surface because they certainly aren't, and that the writing certainly isn't. But the illustrations were meant, I think, to pull in people who might not normally read these types of books and might be intimidated if the illustrations kind of went a little bit too goth, <laughs> <laughs> which that's not my thing either. But I, I think that there was an attempt to kind of keep the illustrations um, very bright and positive and like kind of easy, you know? And so we moved into the Wild Wisdom Companion and we're able to kind of 
more than anything else, I was able to convince my publisher to like trust the reader, like they're okay. They can see the night and the day, the dark and the light, they've got it. And then the night school really pulls us into, let's just dive deep into the shadow work realm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much more than shadow work. It's an overview of magic, really, in my opinion. It is. It is. It's, I mean, honestly, I don't know how I'm going to write another book after this one. Cause I kind of, feel like my mother says to me, every book, she's like, you've told them everything. There's nothing left to tell them. How are you going to write another book? This book? I'm like, I hear your mom. <laughs> yeah. We but might- you know what? Your guides will have a way. I feel like it's just going to come to you. And then here we'll be off to the races again. I'm editing next year's book right now. So there is another book, but it's not a nonfiction, like school book, like the night school. It's a memoir. I know. I was going to ask you about that. You (laughs) mentioned it last year and I was definitely planning on saying, how's your memoir going? How's it going? Writing a memoir. That's a heavy lift. That's a learning curve. I mean, it was a learning curve, like in a technical way. I had never written conversation before. I didn't have to write dialogue. My books didn't really include that. I didn't really have to pay attention to a story arc. All of my books have just been divided into kind of little itty bitty pieces in one way, shape or form or another. And you kind of fill all those individual boxes and move on. So to have to create a story arc and keep track of it throughout the writing, to have to create scenes, figure out how to write enticing dialogue, that was all a big craft challenge for me, which I loved. You know, I loved learning something new, figuring out something new, but I was also at the same time delving into my own past. I had like eight different journals stacked on my desk that I was working from. And that was an emotionally heavy lift, like more so than I thought. It was like, it was a thing by the end, like my neck kept going out. I kept having to go to the chiropractor, like sometimes twice a week, three times a week. And I think that some of that was just reliving, refeeling a lot of things very, very quickly, mm-hmm. you know, and all those places that memory and history lodges into your own body and, and cellular structure and kind of having to work all that through again was something I hadn't realized was going to happen. I've played around a little bit with that genre and two things that come up for me is like, what is the truth? And also like how, I guess it's kind of the same thing. You know, where's the difference between memoir and fiction? You know, when you're editing it into a theme or a story arc, did that come up for you at all? Do you know what I mean? Like your perspective is one truth, but also the truth in the moment is different eight years out when you're looking back on it. And it gets very fuzzy, I have found. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm 100% with you. And one of the things I said in the forward to the book is it's amazing how much memories change over time. And that when you go back and you look at like your journal from that actual day, it's not how you remember it. And so mm-hmm. then what's, what's most important? Is it most important to stick to the exact facts as written in your journal? Or is it more important to see how the memory evolved because the evolution of the memory is part of your own evolution. You know, like we're, we're evolving how we think about our own past as we create ourselves. 
what I decided was that I had to always kind of find the balance. And a lot of times, and I was like clear about this in the intro, because to me, some of this is just setting up your reader so they know what you're thinking, you know, mm-hmm. so that you're being fair and you're treating them like an adult. And so I, w- I would often grab a lot of the, the small details, like the things that there's no way that I could remember, but they were in my journal. So phew, thank goodness, <laughs> like, you know, what color a chair was or, you know, what something smelled like. A lot of those little details were in my journal, which was super helpful. But then when I had to choose between my interpretation of what happened in the moment and my interpretation from a distance and like kind of how I've crafted the story of my life for myself in my own head, I would choose the way that it evolved because oftentimes the way that it evolved was part of me, like crafting my next step. I had to see it in a particular way. You know, it's like, we kind of juggle the memories until they become almost useful. Like they become a stepping stone instead of just something that happened. And to me, that's part of what we do as magical people. We transform things. So this horrible incident that happened to you you know, when you go back and read it in the journal, it might be all about the trauma of that moment. Yeah. And the pain of that moment. But then a decade later, you can look back and you can say, oh, but if that hadn't happened, then this other thing wouldn't have happened. I mean, like, uh, like a really perfect example of this is when I was a freshman in college, my parents, without telling me, donated my horse. <laughs> like I, I, I was a horseback rider. I mean, like, and if you're a horseback rider, you understand that this is not just like your bicycle or something. This is a living creature that you have a relationship with, that you have a love for. And my horse had been injured and I had him at this stable on, on like just turn out and rest. And I left for college and my parents donated him to Valley Forge Military Academy. Huh. Wow. Um, Right. It's taken me. I I think I'm still getting over that broken heart. Yeah. The horse lovers. I know people who have horses. It's one of the deepest relationships they have. Even if they have kids and a husband, their connection with their horse is very special. Yeah. I think it's something that's really hard to understand if you're not a horse person, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's like akin to if you're a person who's ridiculously into your dog. Yeah. But even more so, because there's something that happens when you're riding a horse, it's kind of like a shared meditation. When you hit the groove, you and the horse start doing things in sync. What a unique relationship to you. I'm going to ride around on you. You know, the, the permission involved, the trust involved. It's a unique thing. It is a very unique thing. I actually just got my first horse since the horse that my parents gave away. It's taken me what I was 18 and I'm 53 now. It's taken me this long to, I mean, there's lots of aspects to it. It's taken me this long to financially be secure enough that I felt like I could do it. But, Mm -hmm. but also beyond that, it's taken me this long to feel willing to take a chance on that kind of relationship again. What Um, kind of horse is it? It's an off the racetrack thoroughbred. Her name is Cass. 
Cass. Oh, and she's she's adorable, and she's just still figuring things out. She's like, wait, this isn't the racetrack. What are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> so she's retired. She is retired. She was on the racetrack, and she actually did quite well. Andrew looked her up, and I think she won like one hundred and fifty-four thousand dollars wow. over the course of her racing career. So and she didn't she, see a dime of that. <laughs> she did not see a dime of her hard work. Um, and then, and then just to, you know, make it even worse, they made her into a broodmare, which like the broodmare life is essentially you get thrown in a horse trailer and dragged from stud to stud. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, you know, you go into heat, the stud climbs up on you. And she, she was not able to carry a full to term. So then they sent her to the adoption center. Wow. Well, um, now she gets to live out her happily ever after with you. <laughs> I hope so. I hope it's as good for her as it is for me. So anyway, I just got my first horse, but where I was going with the story was my parents gave away my horse and I was devastated. And my father, you know, my father's a very practical human, like in an emotional situation, he's looking for what, what's the practical thing to do. He wrote me a check for $500. Hmm, that'll and fix it. <laughs> well, but here's what's, here's what's interesting. So he wrote me a check for $500 and he said, I want you to learn how to invest money. Hmm. Take this $500 and invest it. I mean, remember I'm 18 years old and someday you'll be able to buy another horse. And so I, I took that money and I learned how to invest. That's really interesting, actually, that he did that. Isn't that interesting? And so when I was then 27 or 28, 29, somewhere in there, I decided to buy my first house, which is like this time period is, is what the memoir is about. And I had enough money from that $500 from investing it for the down payment on my house. So then I, I bought this house and four years later, no, three years later, I should know all this because I just like went through all the journals, a major New York City museum decided to move into my town and open a sculpture collection and real estate went through the roof. I sold my house for three and a half times what I'd bought it which was the money that let me go study with an herbalist in Ireland, which led to me getting into all this magical stuff. I came home. I still had enough money left over that I opened my store herbiary. This is all the same, like from that little seed of the $500 check from my dad. Wow. Yeah. And, and now you're, right? and now you just bought your first horse yourself with and your own money. Exactly. Amazing how that works. So, I mean, it's, it's really like back to your question about like, what's more important, how things seemed in the moment or how things seem when you can look at them over the stretch of years with the perspective of years, I couldn't see the magic in the moment. All I could feel was the pain. Yeah. Right? I mean, and there's so many different ways to tell that story. You could tell that story in a way that your dad's a jerk and so insensitive and he thought he could buy you off with money when your heart was broken and the story ends there or and that's and that's what my 18 year old self would have said right yeah exactly 
you know, and, and again, like to me, this is where magic comes in because how do I, how do I say this in a way that makes any sense to other human beings? The only thing that we get in this life is this life. That's it. Like we are life artists and our toolbox is everything that happens to us in this life. I'm not a person who believes in heaven. I don't think that there's something else waiting for me on the other side. I am a person who believes in magic and who believes that energy doesn't go away. So I'm super curious what's going to happen, but I don't feel like it's some like reward situation. So what I've got right now is my life. Like this is what I'm actively doing and I'm actively crafting. And every time I I have a, a moment of pain or love or joy or anger or heartache, anything, it's a tool for me to use in this kind of life craft that I'm doing. And to me, that's where the magic comes in. It's how you choose to transform all these moments into a life that you Oh my gosh, yes, yes. Yeah, it's the art of living, what you're talking about. I say the journey is the creation. Often that's what I mean. Yeah. And it's working with what is, working with the material of your life as it is. Because that's all you got, right? Yeah, well, often I think we reject that. We're so busy up in the future or in the past that we actually don't even see the material that we have to work with, which is right in front of us in the moment. Exactly, exactly. And I love that you brought in the future and the past because, you know, to me, when the Zen monks say to live in the moment, this is what they mean. All we have is all these different moments and they're, they're jewels, they're gems. And we often don't see them for what they are at the time. And that's okay. Like when you're, when you're living it and feeling it and hurting through it, it's okay that that's what you're doing. So you have that, that moment that you're in, but then you also have the collection of all the moments from before and how you pull them up and organize them and reorganize them and stack them on each other and choose how you are going to perceive them. That begins to create your story. I love that you can take the lens of the present and lay it over the past and a whole new meaning emerges, especially from 18 to 53. All of the maturity that takes place, all of the perspective, it's a completely different filter on the same experience. It is. I mean, if you think about it, what kind of life do you want? Do you want to be the angry, hurt person who's not understood? I mean, I don't. I played that trope and it didn't feel good. It's lonely. It's very lonely. And like the angst doesn't actually get you anywhere. You know, it doesn't, there's no forward momentum with it. It's, it's like just a hole that you sink deeper and deeper into. It's not that I don't have the opportunity to have angsty, dark, depressive thoughts. I can give you a litany of medical issues and things that have happened in my life and whatever, that if I wanted to, if I wanted that storyline, I could have it convincingly, you know, Mm. but who the hell wants that storyline? I mean, like I understand from the outside, it can seem tragically romantic. And so before you try it on, you might think it's a good one, but after you've tried it on, yeah. No way. I don't want that. So yeah. So I feel like we get to 
reframe our own past. And the final exam for the night school is to write your life out as a hero's journey where you're the hero. That's the final exam exercise. I just probably should have said spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but, you know, it incorporates all the lessons that came before in the book. And when I sat down to write the memoir, I was really thinking about that final exam exercise. I was like, I'm going to do the final exam from the night school. Like I'm going to turn my life, you know, a little section of my life into a hero's journey. And I'm going to be the hero and I'm going to watch myself transform and lay out the path in a way that other people can see and follow. What an awesome way to empower people to do that for themselves and to move forward in empowerment. If you start that exercise from a place of feeling like a victim in your own life and you leave feeling like the hero of your own journey, what a leap, what a difference. Right? And it's all perspective. It's not that the facts change, you know? It's that your perspective changes and that's a choice. Is your memoir about becoming you know, what we know you to be today, this magical author, the owner of a magical shop. What is it about what we know of you? Is it the behind the scenes or is it just something altogether different? Well, it's the foundational period that allowed me to become all of that. Mm. You know, it's the period that really let me change from more conventional ways of thinking to more magical ways of thinking. So is your becoming magical story? It's my becoming magical story. Oh, that sounds so good. When is that coming out? <laughs> that comes out in June. You know, oh, it's that's funny. Soon. Let's soon. Let's it's shove that. really soon. <laughs> what is the name of it? I feel like you must have a name now. We can keep I, our ears perked I, for that. I do have a name. Am I allowed to say the name yet? I don't think I'm allowed to say the name okay. yet. Okay. All right. Well, we'll just have to follow you on Instagram or subscribe to yeah, or... your newsletter. Yeah, because that's coming and I'm super excited for that one. You know, it's interesting when you're doing like the author thing professionally, you're always a book or, or even two ahead. I have another project for next year that actually literally does not have a name yet. We have a whole bunch of different names that we're playing with, but I designed a journal for people on a mystical, spiritual, magical path, because I feel like I always have had trouble keeping my magical notes in a way that allows me to find them again and cross-reference them. So I designed a journal and that's in the works now too. So it's like, I am super excited about the night school, which comes out in 10 days from when we're recording this. I don't know when this will actually be live, but I also am juggling in my brain all the projects that are coming, you know, yeah. and it's um, like, I'm not in the initiatory excitement for the night school. That was last year, right? right? Now I'm now I'm kind of in the, I actually, I'm stroking the book, I have to admit, while we're sitting here talking. I mean, <laughs> it's so stupid pretty. It is pretty. It is pretty. Yeah, and, and the journal is, <laughs> there's a journal for that one too. Notes for the night, a guided journal for moonlit magic. And, you know, here's what someone said to me about the journal that I was like, oh, you're so smart. They're like, oh my God, it's like the perfect book club questions and stuff. Mm -hmm. And she said, and I loved this. She said, I'm going to buy one for my book club and we'll pass it around and put all of our answers to each question in one book. 
It was like, oh my God, that's awesome. That's so fun. Right? Yeah. Um, and it keeps that community vibe going as well. Exactly. It makes it feel like a class. Like there's everyone on the same literal page. I was thinking when you were talking about Hogwarts, how a community bubbled up from that. People identifying themselves as Slytherin or Gryffindor and dressing the part. And it really became something else that had nothing to do even anymore with J.K. Rowling. It just took on a life of its own. And it's fun to think you're doing an adult equivalent to that, but that is grounded actually in real magic. Yeah, wouldn't it be fun if it kind of took on a life of its own? Again, this is just my sense of spirals of community. You know, like I wouldn't have any proprietary sense of ownership if little like night school groups started springing up all over the place. Like I know there are people who would be like, oh, well, you know, don't they have to somehow be tied into you or whatever? I'm like, go buy the book and have at it. Yeah, you're giving them the tools to do it. You know, what's fun about the Wild Wisdom series is I always saw it placed prominently in bookstores. And I think because it was so gorgeous, they're like, this is an easy sale, put it on the end cap and people will buy because it's just, it just jumps out at you. You have to touch it when you walk by, but I keep seeing it out in the wild in very unexpected places. The most recent was at Desconso Gardens, which is awesome. It's like this 144 acre slice of heaven here on the outskirts of Los Angeles and the mountains. And they have this little, bookshop that's mostly about plants and having a garden and there's your book sitting there I was like I talked to her last year on my podcast (laughs) anybody cares anybody anybody (laughs) oh man I would love to do like a little tour of the gardens and arboretums because they do they carry my books and like the puzzles they love the puzzles that go with the wild wisdom books. Mm-hmm. I would love to do a little tour of those because I want to see them all. Wouldn't that be amazing just to do a yeah. tour of arboretums and gardens around the country? Those oh, would be that. great places for a book tour. Do yeah, you do right? that? Do you do book tours? Well, COVID. So yeah. it's it's all gotten a bit messy and mucky. For the herbiary, I did a, a pretty nice tour. And then- I don't remember what was going on with bestiary. Like it was a little bit quieter, but we had a lot planned for crystallary and crystallary came out right in the beginning of COVID. And so everything was canceled. I think we were actually supposed to, were we supposed to do Comic-Con? I mean, we were supposed to do like some big festivals and stuff. And I was really excited, which I'm pretty introverted. Being around a lot of people really exhausts me. And I love to like, you know, do it and then go crash for a week. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Like, totally, I, yes. like just, it reminds me of, of why I do what I do, because when you're just sitting at home typing, it's really easy to forget that other people are actually picking up your books and reading them. Like there's this disconnect. Cause I see them, I see the sales numbers. So I know people are buying them, but I don't have a sense of who those people are. I don't see the excitement in their eyes as they're holding a book. I actually have loved through COVID, a lot of people have been sending me photos of my books in different bookstores all over the world, which is fun because it's like, okay, they're real. Yes. yes. I didn't just make them up. (laughs) Do you feel differently about memoir since your books to date have been more instructional, for lack of a better word? 
Is there a different level of vulnerability you feel now in having to promote the memoir here soon? What's interesting about the memoir for me is it's going to feel to readers like I'm divulging things that they never knew. They're not things that were secret. I can list them off for you. I'm bisexual. I have a learning disability. I had an abortion. It's in the book. All of these things have become in the past year, I mean, especially with Roe being overturned, hot button issues. Like I actually sent an email to my agent and my editor. I said, oh my God, my book's going to be banned. <laughs> I said, I, and then I kind of backed off and I was like, well, if my book ever gets enough traction that people are reading it, then it will be banned. It's very strange to write a book knowing that it's going to be banned in Texas. I mean, it never occurred to me to even think about something like that. Right. Yeah. I think that took us all by surprise, to be honest. It did not take me by surprise. I mean, no. I, my partner is very political. And so I probably consume more news at this point in my life than I ever would have thought of. Like, I don't think of myself as a political person, but because he is, I'm pretty tuned in and it was pretty obvious where it was going. Mm -hmm. So for me, more than anything else, like I'm, I'm a Capricorn rising. I always want to figure out what the hell am I going to do about something? And so I've been exploring what can I do and what can I do? Because I'm in this kind of strange situation where even though I myself don't consider being into politics, my thing, I know more than most people. And as I have watched what's happened in our community, our magical, mystical community, putting that next to what's happened in the political realm. And I see how disconnected people who consider themselves spiritual are from politics. I actually, like, I see an opening there and I, I don't know what it is yet. I haven't worked out the details yet, but I've had a couple conversations with people who are of a spiritual bent who feel like following politics takes the shine off their juju or something. Mm. And so they don't follow, they don't vote. And to me, when like we look at things like Roe being overturned, if magical people are not voting, then our ability as like a non-Christian for, for many of us, portion of the population is going, it's going to disappear. You yeah. want to talk about the burning times? We're going to get into the burning times. And so how do we reconnect people with a sense that the, politics the, is really just community? I the mean, political is personal. The political is personal and politics is just advanced community work. You know, so if we're not involved, someone else is going to form the communities that we have to live in. I don't want that. I'm interested to see if this is going to turn into a book or what is going to happen with you. Just being, yeah. <laughs> just being open to this thought, you know, just what is happening here? Something, some seed has been planted. Some seed has been planted. What really made it sink in was I was talking to a young woman who's, she's very much a part of my life. And she said, I miss Trump. And I said, really? I said, that's, that's fascinating. I said, you know, like when I look at Trump, I see his misogynistic tendencies, his you know, willingness to kind of lie to get his way. I like, what is it that you're missing? I don't see things I miss. And she said, things felt more in control that, 
And I said, well, that's fascinating. What felt in control? And you know, the things that she was listing off, COVID, inflation. And I was like, wow, if you're not following kind of the granular level of politics, then you might not realize that in like a lot of the inflation that's happening right now is because Russia invaded Ukraine. And there's been a whole spiral from that, as well as from backup in the ports and transportation systems that started with early COVID, which was in the Trump years. Mm-hmm. And it just became apparent to me as I spoke to her and she was bringing up some conspiracy theories that had been debunked and she was following closely enough to grab at things, but she wasn't following closely enough to kind of parse through all the information coming in. And she was almost more susceptible to some of the conspiracy theories and things. And she felt like she couldn't do anything to change anything. And so there was no way she was going to vote. And over the course of the conversation, I don't remember the twists and turns, but by the end of the conversation, she kind of said, oh my goodness, I just realized something. And I said, what's that? And she said, Trump was trying to make us all afraid all the time. Yes. Oh, that that is a true statement in my opinion. Right? right. And I said, I saw a lot of that. And she said, well, my spiritual path tells me that like, I shouldn't be afraid, that I should lead from love, not from fear. And I was like, wow, okay. I just had a 20 minute conversation with someone who missed Trump. And by the end of the conversation, she realized that he was a fear mongerer and that he was actually not a part of her spiritual path. And it just like that to me kind of was a little ding, ding, ding. And so then the next time I saw her, she said, I'm going to vote. She said, I've researched the different parties. And she found some very obscure party that she liked. And she said, so I'm going to vote for this party. And I said, great, vote for that party at the local level. And she said, well, but I want to vote for a president who's in that party. And I said, yeah, but it's kind of a throwaway vote because there's very few people who have even heard of that party. So you need to work your person in at the local level and then choose the best of, like, even if you don't like either person, choose the best person that you think can support the country and your ideals for president and slowly but surely start to encourage your friends to explore these other political parties. And over time, something different will happen. But if you at the top levels are voting for an unknown party, you're throwing away your vote. And she was like, why didn't anyone ever tell me that? And it was so interesting because for me, I thought, well, I feel like I got kind of a handle on a lot of this stuff in school, but, but school has changed. Everything's changed. And I just feel like um, our magical spiritual community we could be a voting block, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, like when I think about, like when I think about Roe and when I think about the ideas we learn as we study things like witchcraft and spirituality about life and death, about when life begins, you know, some people are going to fall in different places. I'm not saying every magical person is going to say that abortion should be legal. But I do think that given the teachings of the schools that many of us study, free will is very important in a lot of mystical traditions, life begins at first breath. So there are lots of reasons why people might want to overturn the overturning of Roe. And the only way that we're going to be able to to have these conversations is if spiritual folks stop worrying about tarnishing their aura and instead protect their aura 
and step out into the world. Hmm. Yeah, you have a lot to say about this. <laughs> it's like just coming out. I just stepped aside. <laughs> I just stepped aside and I'm like, here we go. Here we go. It's happening right here. I know too. I said I would get you out at the top of the hour. So that is fascinating. I'm excited to find out where it's all going to lead. And I love that you had the patience and the respect to let that woman have her full expression and her experience without being condescending or dismissive. Well, I, you know, I have to say I was truly curious. I felt very differently than she did, but there was some sense of safety and security that she was feeling. And I, I really wanted to understand that. I think that when we approach each other from a place of truly wanting to understand that things do shift. Yeah. Curiosity is magical in and of itself. It sure is. It's a portal. Yeah, it, it is. And it's a portal that I think brings people together because yeah. you're in that moment, you're exploring an idea together. And if you can see it that way, then even being in disagreement or having different points of views, like if you're walking through them together, you're actually having a connected moment. Yeah. Oh, well, speaking of portals, what is, <laughs> what is the internet portal through which people can find you? Do you have a URL just for people listening yeah, on yeah. the go? So it's just my name, which is spelled a little unusually. It's M-A-I-A, -A, last name T-O-L-L. -L. So Maya Toll.com. Simple, easy. simple. Easy peasy. Easy to find on Instagram as well. Yep. Same thing on Instagram. It's just at Maya Toll. Is there one tip, one magical tip that you would like to leave us with in terms of creating a magical life for yourself? You know, I this goes back to, I think, Danielle Laporte, if, if anyone ever followed her, think about what you want to feel. We focus so much on what we want to do or what we want to be or like titles and things like that. But when you set about crafting your life, think about what you want to feel. Mm. Core because desired feelings. Exactly. Like, I just think when you aim for a feeling, you allow the universe to open up myriad roads to get you there. That's great. I love it. Thank you so much for doing this, Maya. Oh, thank you so much. I, I love this. I can't wait to do it again. I told you this interview was going to be a good time and I did not lie. Did I lie? I did not lie. Let me read one last little piece from the journal before I remind you again to enter the giveaway because I think this is so magical. She says, magic is everywhere. To see it and the effects it has on your life change the way you perceive the world. To harness it, change the way you interact with the energies around you. To know it, change the way you think. To live it, remember the lessons of the night as you go about your day. If you would like to remember the lessons of the night as you go about your day and you would like to win a hard copy of Maya's new book, journal, and deck, all you have to do is follow me, Joanna DeVoe. Follow me over on Instagram or Twitter. Say something nice about this episode of the podcast and then make sure you tag me so I know that you're entering the giveaway and then I will be announcing the winner 
next Tuesday, which is September the 6th. I'm also getting ready to wrap up Sell for a Summer here soon, which means my 50% off sale is about to end. So if you would like to get 50% off either one of my audio journeys, The Magic Star or Shadow Love, the time to do that is now, my friends. There will be links in the show notes, or you can find either over on Gumroad. Shadow Love is a series of podcasts. That's why I call it an audio journey very much in the style of the podcast you're listening to right now, but with a focus on shadow work. I am talking about my own personal take on shadow work. And then the same for the magic star. The magic star is my personal take on the manifestation process delivered as a series of podcasts. You can pick either up for 50% off when you put this code in at checkout. Self-worth, one word no spaces, all lowercase, self-worth. When you put that in at checkout, it will roll 50% off the price, but not for much longer because that sale's about to end. It's back to school season. It is time to wrap up self-worth summer and start preparing for fall, my favorite time of year. I always like to give a shout out to those of you in the Southern Hemisphere as well. Shout out to those of you who are preparing for spring. I hope life is treating you well no matter where you are on the planet. And until we meet again, always remember, life is change, change is magic, magic is life, and the journey is the creation. Much love to you. Peace.